immediately the conversation changes because we're all vulnerable. We're all stressed. We all have problems and acknowledging it and talking about it and working through them together, even if it's only one piece of the problem, is huge. It builds a community. It's what the community is based on. Welcome, everybody, to the Clearview Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Lou Carpino of PubX.ai. How are you doing today, Lou? Fabulous. It's a bright, sunny, almost spring day here in New York. Ah, beautiful. It is a very, very rainy couple of days here in Hawaii, but the rain just stopped for the moment, just for this recording, which is really convenient for me because it's loud otherwise. Uh, Hawaii sounds nice. I just returned from Panama. And uh-huh. we're, we're in like a, the cloud forest before we came back and it was torrential. It must've been 70 mile an hour wind gusts at some point, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so Lou, tell me, tell me a little bit about PubX. Um, well, you've got a couple of companies actually. So I'm curious which one you, you feel most alive about talking about today. Uh, I mean, I could talk about both easily. Um, PubX, 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 PubX is new, yeah. right? Um, okay. You know, it's 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 uh, an AI-driven, um, programmatic publisher pricing solution toy, uh, or, or or supercharger for for publishers, basically. Um, but that's pretty young. I mean, it's got got lots and lots of traction. Um, so I could definitely talk about that. But the story is kind of short. On, on PubX. Hindsight can talk about longer. It's a little bit more mature, but whatever you want, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dive into like, what was your, your biggest challenge in either of these? Maybe that's in, maybe that's right now in the, the younger PubX, or maybe that's, you've got a whole history of, you know, challenges and growth experiences with hindsight. Challenges, growth. Oh, well, you know, certainly with, with, with PubX is getting the technology working. <laughs> um, that's that right now that's the challenge and and you know really you know we we start off we started off with with a basic premise you know the 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 whole ad tech digital ecosystem is messed up and you know we we a a couple of our co-founders we got together um about a year ago now at at this time at this point and we're working together at uh, another digital ad operations platform um, based out in Eastern Europe. And what they did was basically, you know, they work with publishers and help them monetize um, all their ad units, layouts, all of that fun, fun stuff that publishers, for the most part, just don't really know a lot about doing and user optimization. So what they were doing from a floor pricing perspective is, you know, they had about, I don't know, 20, 30 people um, that were basically adjusting the floor prices daily manually, which is pretty labor intensive. Um, and we just thought there must be a better way to do this. And we got together and raised some money, which was less challenging than you would have thought, believe it or not, at least on the public side of things. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we, we put a team together and 
started solving the problem. But we uncovered a whole bunch of other problems across the industry um, as we started really getting under the hood of uh, hmm. and, and actually building the engine that <laughs> and looking under the hood of the broader uh, ad tech ecosystem in space. So were these were these issues with like interoperability or um, like inefficiency in the in the industry? Oh, tons were of inefficiencies were... across the industry. Tons of fraud. Uh, there's mm. uh, every publisher has a different stack. Uh, is another problem. You know, they're storing yep. their their data in in many different ways. Um, they you know they're they're stretched to the max um, from a from a capabilities and and an engineering perspective, you know, they're, they're ad tech, uh, typically shared services. And, you know, when they have, when editorial wants to get a few things up and operating, it's typically part, partially the same team that will also, you know, get the ad tech and ad ops um, running. So, you know, all the demand partners and supply partners that everyone's plugged into don't all necessarily <laughs> play nice in the sandbox. So, you know, certainly, Figuring out, figuring out what, figuring out what to do there and how best to handle that was, and still certainly is, is a challenge, right? Where we, we came to market with an idea, we built it over the summer, uh, you know, during the pandemic, and uh, which is another challenge. But um, and and we started testing our our alpha back in December, November, December, give or take. So. We're, we're just ramping up there, um, if that answers the question. Now, challenges on hindsight, wow, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that there are still some challenges, but it's, it's pretty much, it's kind of easy. Now, it, in the beginning, um, putting a team together uh, was the challenge. Um, finding the right people who understood what we were doing, finding uh, a brilliant data scientist to, you know, create a contextual search algorithm, um, you know, that that worked uh, and that could just amplify related content for for their publishers, for the publishers and just get readers engaged more in content that publishers were, were offering. Um, you know, that's that that value prop. Uh, <laughs> That value prop was was what we went to market with, and you know a lot of people jumped on it and thought it was nice. And you know it wasn't. We all we didn't always describe it that way. It started off as you know computational journalism, and it sounds all nice and snazzy. But you know when you're talking to ad agencies and publishers, they don't really know what that is. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you explain that to them? And how do you how did you like convey this idea to? to candidates to get somebody excited to be working with you and be building that team? Oh, we had to dump, well, you know, for, for the data scientists, we had to kind of explain, hey, this is a, this is a piece of, of the publishing space that's kind of blowing up, right? And, you know, to, to, the, to the buyers of, of our product, right? To, to the brands and, and to the agencies and, and the publishers themselves, we had to explain what the value proposition was and, and literally dumb it down and kind of switch pitch and, and even switch the way the, the tech was actually working. We, 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 we started off with the goal and it still is the goal of, of just helping publishers with recirculation engagement, um, recirculation and engagement, right? And through that, the publisher will monetize more efficiently via their own content. 
Um, and it worked. It worked really well. Um, you know, one of our, our first customers was actually Tribune um, and uh, the Virginia Pilot. And, you know, they, they saw, you know, north of 20% uptick in, in engagement across the board, which is a pretty, pretty solid number. Our second customer was Forbes. They had an even bigger return, um, you know, and, you know, they were north of 30%. So we got very excited. And, um, you know, quickly we, we were playing in the big leagues and, you know, just onboarding was, an, onboarding was a challenge, right? The, the ramp up time and speeds that, you know, the, that are industry standards. We were, we were lean and mean and underfunded then at, at the time, right? We were essentially... Mm-hmm. Uh, bootstrapping the thing at the beginning. Uh, now we, you know, we we raised north of a north of a million. We've got uh, you know some private investors, friends, family, and you know, at least last time I checked, no, we don't have any institutional money uh, that that we brought into hindsight. So certainly that helped. I mean, paying the bills and paying our staff when when you're you're barely generating revenue with you know a handful of publishers in the beginning is an issue and a challenge and keeping everyone motivated and keeping the lights on. Yeah. What was that like for you emotionally going through, going from this phase of this, this idea to then seeing the idea working and working with big league publishers and then going to friends and family and like receiving their money and trust and all the weight that comes with that. We, we knew it would work. Um, So it, it was, you know, we had to explain to them and everyone else that, that we were raising and the investors, um, you know, that, that we were going to, that, um, that this would work and here's why. And they said, okay. Um, you know, the weight of it, I guess was less of my problem and, and more of one of my, my co-founders problem, Hirsch. Um, so because he was doing more of the day-to-day, um, interactions with the investors and, putting together those reports, I was still, I was still more, more focused on, on the sales and taking it to market and going to get the go to market strategy. Um, and it's literally just the hustle out there. You know, the investors get excited with the big names of the publishers that come in, but everything has to work and onboarding has to work and, you know, streamlining the onboarding process where, where it's, you know, it's, it's a constant evolution. So constantly analyzing, constantly tweaking, constantly making things faster. Um, getting the right contracts in place, even with the investors, you know, we, we had some friends who invested and they weren't accredited investors. So they had to go through mm-hmm. their uncles um, to to actually fund the company. So it was stressful and not paying yourself, uh, you know, when you have a family. Uh, yeah. Can be stressful. So, you know, certainly it was stressful, very stressful, exciting to be in the meetings but, uh, you know, one gets good at compartmentalizing all of those stresses um, in various ways as uh, they get piled on throughout the years in, uh, in the war, in the war yeah. room, if you, if you call it that. Yeah. At, at what point did you recognize that you had to reconcile these things like that you that you had been doing this compartmentalizing? Was there was there some point that you that you realized that this was like harming your relationship with your family or? like having you be checked out at work while you're, you know, feeling like disconnected. Um, was, was there a moment that you realized this? I think 
always no you know when when the bank account started running dry um that's when i realized shit i've got to do something uh mm-hmm. you know it's like do i consult does that take away from you know the promise made to hindsight and the investment of time and everything that that comes in and you know we do need cash uh you know we, we bills to pay roof to keep over our heads um you know and you know definitely the relationship between myself and my family suffered and it it, it sucked for a while um but you know we we got through it we figured out the the the, the missing pieces uh that that were there through communication communication is key transparency is key in business and, and in personal life and mm-hmm. um you know expect managing expectations also becomes critical you know when what what deal is coming through do, what new partners are coming in all of those affect what revenue is coming in all of those affect you know what what we have coming in as as a family what i'm earning right and what our employees are earning too you know they have families as well so um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of constantly there. It's just when it when it finally hits that boiling point, I think that's when you just take a step back and say, "Whoa, mm-hmm. let me assess this and figure out how we can fix things." And uh, you know, get the team together, and you know, we're we're constantly talking about how we can improve things, um, even to this day. Right. Yeah. What 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 else? What did you learn like specifically about like communication and and. Uh setting expectations, um, if you can give an example or two, when that boiling point hit? Uh, locking yourself in a room, trying to get shit done without saying things to anybody and existing in your own world, thinking you can get everything done by yourself sucks and it doesn't work. Um, And it just amplifies the problem. So like being open about the challenges, like business in in business and and personally to the business and the business also and then about the business to the family became critical because you know they're everyone is important we're all a big family in one way shape or form right um and and we all want everyone to win and we all want to be comfortable and and literally things started to change when we all started talking about it on either side um and and discussing where those challenges are and really working through them yeah, that's beautiful. So communication is key. <laughs> Tran- the, the, the transparency thing, you know, being being able to, you know, ask the hard questions and, you know, deal with deal with the losses, deal with copycats that, you know, were, were your early partners and, you know, sending out cease and desist letters and having them take it down. You know, that's that's all stuff we shouldn't be holding in. It all adds up um it it's all stuff we have to deal with and it's all it 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 happens so um yeah being truthful and yeah and communication with yourself too um like recognizing where you're at recognizing if you're when you're burning out recognizing when you're feeling when you're feeling disconnected when you feel that you're putting all of the weight of everything on your own shoulders and not asking for help yeah when, when, when it's, it's, it's now I realize when you start to feel like, or when I, at least for me, when I, I, I felt like I was on auto, autopilot and stuck in the routine, right? Stuck in the routine of something that had worked for so long, but it wasn't working the way it, it used to work. And just kind of holding on to like, when is it going to work? When is it going to work? I know it's going to work. And 
I don't know. It's it's hard to pinpoint uh, exactly exactly when uh, you at least for me exactly when I finally like it finally clicked that something's got to change. We've got to you know try a different approach, um, but it does. And you know you you kind of kind of we put up all of these barriers and blockers that we don't necessarily want to listen to internally, and you know meditating and being cognizant of them and like doing some soul searching and figuring just figuring it out on on your own through help of other people and and mentors and spiritually and 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 physically um is helpful and more people should do it i think yeah tell me about your mentorship so uh i mentor i've been mentored by by a few people um over the years, uh, one, one of them was the father of a high school girlfriend of mine by the name of Josh Weigendam. Um, he was a radio guy, an old school radio guy. Um, MJI Broadcasting was his company. He sold it to Clear Channel for a lot of money. Uh, mid, yeah, 30, 50, 80, 90 million, something like that. I forget the number. Um, back, yeah, back in, I guess, 2000, 99, 2000. Um, that was the right time to be selling a company. <laughs> it was the perfect time As to be selling to a, a company. Year or two later. I mean, Clear Channel had the edict, and I worked for Clear Channel. I, I went into radio myself, which was an inter- in- interesting time at the time that that this happened. It was like in 2003 when I got into radio, because everything was converging. Right, a- you've got the AOLs of the world, um, you've got the Yahoos of the world, and the Googles of the world that are just burgeoning, right, as an industry and, and blowing up, and you've got these old school behemoth dinosaur media companies that, you know, were, were laughing to the bank <laughs> and, and the holding companies that are laughing their way to the bank, right? Post dereg and consolidation that, you know, these new tech companies just came out of nowhere and kind of exploded and changed the, the dynamic. And these traditional broadcasters and media companies had the relationships with the ad agencies um, or kind of yeah, they, they had the relationships with them and they had to create these offerings that competed with with the new digital media, right? All the radio stations had websites um, and the radio stations gave them away for free. But, um, yeah, that's a whole nother industry problem and, and conversation that happened as a result of it that the industry today is still paying a price for. Mm-hmm. But going back to the mentorship and Josh, um, you know, we had always kept in touch and I would always ask him questions and, you know, like respect everything he said and did. He'd been so, so successful. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was a shoulder that I could always lean on for an honest, unbiased opinion in terms of, you know, pros and cons and, and decision-making, um, like professionally throughout the career and throughout the industry. So, I advise strongly for somebody to find a mentor to, to help them guide yeah. their way through whatever it is they love doing. Yeah. Mentorship has been very important for me. Yeah. All along the way. Yeah. Like starting from like my, my hockey coach in high school, um, you know, it was like a marketing guy who'd worked for bath and body works and P and G. Um, and I, I did his like website for his marketing agency and just like doing that was, like a mentorship experience um just like walking through this process with him as he's designing as we're designing a website together and i'm learning how marketing works 
and then how just a number of my like naive assumptions about business fell apart and he also just lovingly like held space for that to happen you know like when i missed my first deadline or you know let myself get stuck in a uh stuck in a room alone feeling behind on everything you know it's a reality it happens it's a you know like the industry all these industries they're they they churn and burn it's a churn and burn mentality and it's not for everyone i mean i got into the industry and you know marketing and sales you know we're we're two two completely different animals um Mm -hmm. but both churn and burn their people um from from a from the very start and i saw it still see it have family members that went through Mm -hmm. it have friends that have gone through it and some people make it through some people never look back some people go brand side and some people go vendor side they switch all around but it's not to say that it's it's, it isn't part of the journey or shouldn't be part of the journey right of one's career you only find out what you enjoy doing or like doing by going through stuff like that right right absolutely and so how do you how do you keep that like churn and burn kind of uh like energy like how how do you maintain the kind of energy that you want in your companies now um while still working with that industry well i've made a lot of friends over the years so that certainly helps um but meditating on it like personally i i meditate and you know if i'm in a bad mood you know it, it kind of has to be checked at the door and i have to understand why um and you know kind of sharing sharing my plights and challenges with my clients that all literally become friends um you know they have challenges too we're all people it's not just purely transactional and i think that when when all the purely transactional bs gets out of the way and you connect to people on a deeper level that um that really makes the process much easier um you know personally professionally you know corporately right um just doing uh, the the old business development stuff you know it's Mm -hmm. people don't want to be treated like a commodity even though the properties that we realize and and are representing have become commoditized right um right you know being cognizant that there there are people on the other side of, of of the line and on the other side of the screen or you know that are doing things and there's a lot of work involved to do it um and and appreciating it and expressing the gratitude for it is is an important thing so yeah yeah absolutely so so i'm curious now like having having heard all of this experience through hindsight which is really uh poetic right now um how how are you how are you applying all of like all of those lessons about like your personal like balance you know with your family and with your work and the way that you want to feel in a company and the way that you want to work with people and these like meditation practices how are you bringing that into pubx and what are you doing differently now in this new company and how does it how does it feel to you in your in your body as you're doing this structurally as, as an organization, um, you know, that we went in, we formed PubX far more mindfully, um, than we, than, than hindsight. Hindsight was formed. Yes, let's do this. Let's make a, a shit ton of money. Um, because we have, you know, this awesome 
technology that will help publishers, which was a great idea. And we had that energy and that energy became a challenge with, with PubX. It's a very different approach. We, we really, you know, that it's not just about money. It's about solving problems. Hindsight was about generating revenue and still is about generating revenue and solving problems, but it's, it's, it's very different. Um, we are connecting every conversation we have. We're connecting so much deeper with, with our alpha partners, our, and, um, you know, our, our customers that, you know, we're delaying really releasing our problem to our, releasing the solution to the first customers because we've uncovered so many other issues and challenges that they have. And some of them are similar, Mm -hmm. um, that we're, we're, it sounds cheesy, but we've taken a holistic approach to, you know, solutionizing ad tech. Um, but we're, we're doing it one problem at a time instead of, instead of having a solution for all. I mean, we could try and solve A and try and solve B and being VC backed certainly helps us and gives us the ability to um, solve these problems. And, you know, we've got tons of runway, um, but, you know, time is of the essence. So, but being really pragmatic about, hey, you know, what are we doing right? Let's A, B test. Um, is this working for the publisher? Is this solving their problem? Is it solving it efficiently? Are we solving it efficiently? And can we scale it appropriately across the board? Yeah, yeah. I'm really curious how you strike that balance between kind of maintaining the holistic approach, solving for many interacting variables for the health of the system, while also trying not to boil the ocean and get stuck in... uh, you know, too many things, too many irons in the fire at once. Honestly, it's being transparent and having, you know, an open dialogue um, of communication with your customer, not not hiding things. Um, you know, they, they some of these are, are, are pretty large media companies. Right. And the only reason they're they're they they're willing to, you know, put their pen to paper and say, all right, we like your idea, we like you, is they trust us, which means we have to trust them. And it's it's reciprocal, right? They believe in the idea and they would love to see it work and they want us to help solve it. So they're going to give us the tools to solve it. But if we lie or we're not transparent about what the challenges are and why things aren't getting ramped up in time or why we're not integrating or, or why we're losing them money some days, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a big thing to say. And, you know, working through the problems with them um, and telling them, hey, we're trying to solve it. We've got a, some pretty bright people um, that, that, that are behind this um, makes things a lot easier. I mean, we've revised timelines and all sorts of things. Um, so I, honestly, it's, it's the transparency part of it. And there, there, there's in, in this media business, in the ad tech ecosystem, there's such a lack of transparency um, that's, that's just a systemic problem. So, and, and I think, I think the people that we deal with, the, the product managers, the publishers, um, the editors, uh, you know, the, the CTOs, they appreciate the transparency because so many, so many companies just don't have it. They're siloed and they don't see, and they don't know what one hand is doing. 
or what the other hand is doing. And um, they appreciate it. Even with their partners, they see money coming in, but is it valid? <laughs> you know, and it's, what's, what's happening on the other end? What's getting lost? What's getting lost between five vendors before an ad is actually being served, right? Yeah. They don't know. They can't see anything. It's a black box, right? So. Yeah. In an industry as, as rife with fraud as the ad industry, I think like transparency and vulnerability would be a breath of fresh air. Yes. And, you know, it, it, it was for us. And, and that's, that's how we started PubX. Um, and immediately the conversation changes because we're all vulnerable. We're all stressed. We all have problems and acknowledging it and talking about it and working through them together, even if it's only one piece of the problem is huge. It builds a community. It's what the community is based on, right? When you have some villain trying to come in and, you know, that, that finds a weakness in the system, which a lot of these ad tech companies out there, like, you know, they, they're not villains, but, you know, they, they see holes in the system or they exploit holes in the system and they make money off of it. And mm -hmm. it, it makes everyone look bad. It makes the honest people look bad <laughs> um, that, that do all of this fraud, all, all of this fraud stuff. So, um, you know, rooting that out, it's, it's, it's a massive problem that, uh, you know, I still think it's not spoken about enough. You know, yeah. We've got CTV that's blowing up, right? And it's it's right with fraud. Um, everything has it. But the printer has a thing in. There's a paper. There's a paper jam. I'm sorry, uh -huh. my son just just barged in. No, with, no, Papa, come. With, with a paper jam. No. This is a kid-friendly podcast. <laughs> God, I'm doing a podcast. Can you, can you no, wait now, wait now, wait now. All right. <laughs> Right. Maybe this is a, a good place to, to pause, if, if you don't mind, yeah. because when 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 Gabriel, uh, my five and a half year old <laughs> son, gets on something, it's kind of impossible to get him off. Of no, it's not God, impossible. God, don't touch anything. Yeah, let's take a short commercial break. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let, we'll, we'll pick up in, in, in a few. Oh, do you know okay. You All right. Me? Cheers. Sorry about that. I am back. No worries. Yeah. So ac across the whole pandemic, it, it was actually kind of hysterical, right? It, all the kids that come in, it just, it, you've got two camps, right? You've got, and actually this is an interesting area of, of contention, right? Within companies that they had to solve, very, figure out a way to solve early on. And now doing all of these virtual meetings with everybody working from home, you've got, you know, You've got the empty nesters, you've got, you know, professionals with families that, you know, have triple the amount of work to do because their kids are being homeschooled um, because there's no every all the classes became virtual. And, you know, then you have all the the young kids or, or, the, or the young professionals that, you know, live alone and, you know, they just work, work, work 24 seven. Well, when you have kids at home. There is nothing you can do to prevent them from coming into a meeting. It's just a yeah. yeah it, it, there's nothing you can do. So I there have been countless meetings where they just get they end when they end. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I think it, you could even yeah you could even like be in cahoots with your kids like send them send them some kind of signal and be like okay I really want out of this meeting can you just come barf all over my like shirt or something. 
<laughs> you know, some people probably did do that, but uh, that didn't happen here because our kids <laughs> broke every lock in the house on every door. Um, oh, wow. It's impossible to lock the doors, but, you know, they, they feel the energy. They, they feel, wait, there's an important, you're, you're speaking, and there's an important topic that you're talking about. Wait, now is a perfect time to go in and, yeah. you know, jump on Papa's lap or get him to help you. Build. I, I want your attention. Yes. <laughs> so interestingly, you've mentioned a couple of times on this episode about um, meditation being important for you. And I'm imagining, you know, just like on a Zoom call, also when you're meditating, you know, your kids are just going to show up. You're like, why is daddy being still and not moving? What's going on? <laughs> I want his attention. Um, yes. I'm, I'm curious what to learn a little bit more about your meditation practice and what that means to you and what practice that is and also you know the interaction with how do you how you do this in you know covid lockdowns with your kids so i can tell you i have had many a meditation interrupted <laughs> um by my children in in the middle of the day for, I, like you know i i'll meditate in the morning like briefly and there are things that you could do that are meditative but that aren't actually you know active you know forms mm -hmm. of meditation i've been practicing a lot of um qigong lately um and I don't know if you know uh, Mantic Chia, who's like amazing. I highly recommend him. I think mm. if more people understood, you know, connecting with nature and meditating and leveraging the the forces that Mother Earth has has given us and provided us, is uh, you know remarkably powerful. Um, and we all need to recharge off of her as much as she recharges off of us. Um, mm. So that's something I've been doing a lot. And there's a bunch of different types of practices. But, um, you know, I think it's really important, at least for, for me personally. And it, it's different for everyone, right? My wife loves getting up early and meditating. I don't. I like to eat in the morning. It's the first thing I like to do. Um, I don't drink coffee. I don't do caffeine. So, so that's not my fix. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just have to accept it. You know, when they, if you're 14.5 minutes into a meditation and your five and a half year old comes running in and jumps on your, your, your stomach or on your back, there really isn't much you can do about it. And if you're in it and me, when I'm in a meditative state, I don't do anything about it. It just is what it is. Meditation over. Yeah. Or, I mean, there's, or, or it's the meditation has just changed and now like the the being present that meditation is is being present with my kid jumping up on down on me <laughs> yes and you know being present transitioning to the rest of the day exactly um you know being present is key and you know bef actually before i i actually started you know practicing the various forms of meditation and just like taking the time to for, for myself to do that and realizing the importance of it um becoming present and living in the now was a big thing for me to figure out. Like my life fundamentally changed when I figured out how to actually be present. So being, which also, um, you know, started off with meditation and focusing on breath work. Um, you know, all, all of that, all of that helps with, with becoming present and living in the now. But once you figure out that, you know, there, there ain't shit you can do about living in the past and, you know, there, there is some stuff you could do about the future, but thinking about it too much will make people anxious. And that's what worries people too much. And that's why our society is, 
so reactive um, instead of, you know, letting things evolve and figure out. It's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But, you know, control your controllables. Don't let them control you is something another early mentor taught me. Jonathan Mason, um, he, he was my first manager in, in radio. And, um, you know, it, it's something I live by. Control your controls. Never let them control you. And your life will work out much easier. And it, it blends right into living in the now. Because it, living in the now is controlling your controllables. Because right. you just right. can't change anything. Um, it's also not trying to control your uncontrollables. Right. There are variables um, that play into a lot of stuff that you just are, are out of your control. Yeah, that reminds me of a, uh, there was like a crocheted art piece that my grandma had hanging on a wall that was, what was that quote? It's like, God grant me the uh, courage to change the things that I can, the surrender, serenity to accept the things that I cannot change and the wisdom to know the difference or something like that. Yeah, the serenity prayer. I know it well. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Uh, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Yep. All right. So to, to close this out, I'm, I'm curious, what do you want your kids to learn from the way that you do business? Patience. What do you want your kids to learn about <laughs> life from the way that you do business? What do I want my kids to learn? Um, I want them to learn that people are good. Like, you know, one of the biggest challenges is be, is not becoming cynical in this business. For the most part, you know, one could say corporations are bad. They only work about the bottom line. But people are good natured, right? And, you know, you, you may turn turn blind to, to like the corporate entity and structure. And I mean, there are bad corporations out there, right? Um, but I want them to know that... They, they shouldn't do anything that doesn't bring them joy, right? The minute, mm. the minute whatever they fall into, whether it's playing music or engineering bridges or cars or uh, be, becoming an artist, they, they have to love it, right? And just let their light shine. If, you know, I, I remember when I, I, quit, I quit radio because I, I didn't enjoy it anymore. I had to get out of the industry. And it, 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 I should have quit two years earlier, um, but I did quit two years earlier and I, they convinced me to stay. Worst decision I ever made, hands down. Mm. And I want them to know, like, trust your gut, trust your, trust your intuition, intuition, don't be bullied by anyone, speak up, ask questions, learn, <laughs> you know, do what you love and, you know, let your energy shine. We all have energy and it gets stifled by bad management and, you know, incapable and incompetent people. If, if you're smarter or better than, than someone, so be it. Um, and, and follow your heart. If that, uh, if that makes sense. And the quickest way to incapable or incompetence is to not be enjoying what you're doing or be doing what you're absolutely not enjoying. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Lou. This has been an amazing episode. I really appreciated this conversation. You're more than welcome. Uh, I, I, I'm honored and, and humbled uh, 
that you thought of me and uh, invited me to, to be on it. And, uh, you know, certainly happy to, to do it again anytime, I will say. 